Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to We Are West Ham. Another week and another week with the boys. Last week was so special, wasn't it? Joined by Jacob Steinberg, joined by the Committer Twins, Rosie and Molly. And last week, there was a bit of a tease at the end of the pod, Sam. We had a massive guest this week, a heavyweight guest. It is Bianca Westwood from Sky Sports News and Soccer Saturday. Delighted to say she's joining us tonight and another few special surprises and treats along the way as well. And as always, the tradition, the favourite, it is the West Ham quiz. We are running out of time. James is so close to that victory, inching his way to the final. Will, he's already rattled. He knows he needs a big performance tonight. And there's always your West Ham stories for us to get into tonight. So much that Declan Rice story, the Sun and the Telegraph running. Could he be joining Chelsea? We're going to be talking and looking uh, at that a little bit later. And obviously, what else is going on in this pandemic and in the lockdown? And as always, it revolves around West Ham. But before we get into that, let's start with the boys. Will, I'll throw to you straight away. How are you? How is everything this week? Yeah, I'm doing really well, mate, actually. Absolutely brilliant week. One thing, um, a huge week for We Are West Ham as well. James and I managed to bag an interview with Dean Ashton in the week and released a bonus episode. We had a full-length feature with Dean. Um, he was really good sort of um, managed to arrange an interview in the week. He was only supposed to be with us for a short period of time, but he uh, he stayed on for much longer than he was supposed to have done and gave us some great content. We were, uh, yeah, a brilliant chat with Dean, talking about his time at West Ham, working under Alan Pardew, sort of the mental impact of having to retire early with his injury. And uh, yeah, so any of you who listen to this, who haven't listened to that already, used to picking up the podcast on Wednesday morning, James and I, that's a bonus interview available on iTunes, all your usual places that we released in the week. Uh, it's a bonus interview with Dean Ashton. So that was really good, Charlie. And uh, yeah, that was sort of uh, pretty exciting. Probably one of the most exciting things that happened to me this week, to be honest. Pretty par for the course other than that. Rollerblades are great, though. <laughs> yeah, I was going to get into the rollerblades and ask about it. I was kind of waiting for the opportune moment, waiting to, to find out how it is going, how many cuts and bruises you do have, but you mentioned Dean Ashton there, and as much as we say, we got to big ourselves up in case no one else does, but it's been a brilliant back catalogue of all the guests over the last few weeks, notably Dean Ashton there. I didn't get the call up for that one. I'm still uh, still wiping away the tears, but James, we've mentioned him on the show, just how big he was at the club and the goals he scored. For you two to have a little chat with him, how big was that? Oh, it was massive. Um, I mean, at the end of that episode, uh, Will and I, we, we discussed sort of some of the stuff that he says and, and you, you can tell just by listening to us that, you know, we, we couldn't believe we were given that sort of that time with, with Dean for, I think, about 40, 45 minutes in the end. Um, and it was just great uh, listening to him talk about just a whole host of things going from, you know, his injury to his career and sort of, you know, the sort of player he was, sort of his mentality, sort of while he was playing and then after he was playing. I think that's probably one of the most interesting bits about it. Um, and sort of his the way he looks at football, he sees football is a lot different to most football fans, um, which is quite interesting. So definitely worth listening just for that, really. And it was it was it was just an honour really to to listen to someone as who was is arguably probably our our best best striker we've had, arguably one of the best strikers we've had in the Premier League era. Yeah, definitely on the cusp of just even producing even more. He'd reached such a level, so many 
important goals and that career obviously horribly cut short but great to get him on there has been uh, some really special guests we've got more tonight with Bianca Westwood that's still to come so stay around for that and we always do try to deliver we're trying to grow this pod and Brandon even we won't go into it too much Will but we're even going to be doing a little bit more on the social side in the next few weeks as well aren't we yeah that's it yeah we've um, we managed to we're speaking to a young lad called Ollie in the week who's who's got some uh, really good like experienced in um, some social media stuff already he's built accounts up from from the ground so we've we've got him on board in the hope of of getting some of our content out to our listeners a bit more driving more people uh, hopefully to listen to the pod you know Drew, we we said at the beginning of all of this me and James had a chat about whether we were going to keep it going and thought, well, A, we've got nothing else better to do. Um, <laughs> and that was kind of the main thing, actually. It was, it was we had nothing else better to do. But now we, mm. we love doing the show. And, um, yeah, so we, we sort of want to want to keep that going and, and build the brand, build the platform a bit. We enjoy what we do. And with guests like Dean Ashton, Tony Carr, John Moncur, lots of people we're lucky to call friends of the show now that we've had on over the last year. And, uh, yeah, we just want to keep building on that. And, um, yeah, so hopefully see us in a few more places than uh, just the weekly tweet we put out and um, the podcast that flashes up on, on Apple. So excited to work with Ollie. Yeah, and we never know. Uh, we never knew what was going to happen with a pod. Always hard to maybe carry on when you've got James Jones, who's not even missing football. But let's keep it on football. This is a West Ham pod. That Declan Rice story will not go away. We all need stuff to write about, to talk about in this time when there is no football, James. But there's no smoke without fire. We've spoke about on the show. We don't want to do it from a Hammers perspective, but those links and that story of Chelsea, it just won't go. No, I mean, it's disappointing to see that, you know, that those rumours have sort of reared their ugly head again. It did go a little bit quiet for a few weeks, didn't it? And But it was it was inevitable that they were going to come back and, you know, all this talk about, you know, 70 million quid and, you know, the club are seriously considering cashing in because they're going to be short of money. Uh, it's disappointing. And I think, you know, uh, Sam Inksell, Football London, obviously we've had him on in the past. He he was tweeting earlier and he wrote an article earlier saying that, and he, quite rightly saying that there's no reason why West Ham should be even considering selling Declan Rice because the financial situation, yeah, okay, it's bad, um, and it's but it's bad for every club. Um, and there are so many other players in that first team squad that we should be looking to cash in for before Declan Rice. He should be the last player we should be looking at selling if we're desperate for cash. Um, and if a club goes out and spends 70 million quid this summer, I'd be very surprised. I just don't think it's going to happen given the state of uh, the economy, state of the game. Um, so it's disappointing. I just hope that we aren't forced into selling him on the cheap. Um, I just hope that a lot of this is just um, paper talk and there's no truth in it because, you know, we, if we want to push on, then Declan Rice has got to be central to that. And I'm sure David Moyes would think the same thing as well. Yeah, and obviously, Will, you've kind of maybe alluded to, do you think that maybe uh, the owners are just getting the fans ready for, for what could be a fire sale whenever this transfer window is? Well, I think that's what it is. Uh, in, in this instance, it's one of those things where the headlines were scary. Uh, the, I think the, it was on the back page of The Sun and I think The Telegraph also ran a story. And I think The Sun's one was all hands on deck and just saying that, it, it looked like it was Declan Rice, but the, if you, the main introduction of the piece, the intro was West Ham are preparing for a fire sale with no player, including Declan Rice, is safe. So I think the story was more around, no, look, anyone could go. And just the fact that includes Declan Rice, he's been the flavour of, the, of the, the summer and of the, of the year, really, because he's been one of our few shining lights in a pretty grim season. There's a lot of people on Twitter saying, is this just a ploy from the owners getting fans a little bit nervous or getting them prepared for a fire sale in the summer? A few people suggesting, oh, if they throw the Declan Rice conversation out there, when we sell Issa D off instead, fans won't think that's quite as bad. But, uh, you know, you, you never know, do you? The, the fact that it came out in the Sun and the Telegraph and there was all these rumblings all at the same time suggests that, it's come from a source that a few news outlets share, which, and as we've seen in the past, there's, um, there's, you know, there's, there's certainly links high up the club with, uh, with some of the more mainstream news outlets. Karen Brady obviously writing for the Sun, but um, yeah, that, that remains to be seen. I, I just think that 
with you know you mentioned this Idiot there. He's another player that's been linked heavily linked away. Like, I think even I think Spurs with the latest cards been interesting. And and again, he's another player that we should be looking to to keep at the club. You know, Moyes came out recently and said that you know he wants to build a, a young team. Declan Rice and Issa Diop are two, two of the most exciting youngsters we've got. And they're the two, but obviously, they, you know, they're probably arguably two of our better players. So they're going to be linked away. Um, but they should be the two the two players, maybe one or two others as well, that the club should be doing all they can to ensure that we're at the club next season, whenever next season is going to be. Um, you know, there's so many players in that squad that we could we could get some decent money for. You know, Yarmolenko. Uh, as much as I quite like him as a backup, you know, if we need to sell players, he should be on that list. If you um, don't say Felipe Anderson in this bit, I'm genuinely leaving the podcast. <laughs> um, say I'm Felipe gonna... Anderson. <laughs> um, I'm going to, I mean, Masuaku, King, King Arthur, your other favourite player, um, another player that we could potentially cash in on. Um, you get 50 million for him. Jack Wilshere, um, we could probably save a few bob just by cancelling his contract because he's on he's on quite a big wage. He's not going to play for us really. Um, so there's so many so many players there that you know we should be looking to sell first before even entertaining the idea of um, putting Rice up for sale, putting D up up for sale. They should be the you know the poster boys for future West Ham under David Moyes or whoever the manager is going to be. Um, they've, they've got to be the two players that we're looking to keep in. Declan's not even on that much money either, is he? I think thirty grand. I think thirty-five grand. And to be fair, whatever happens, if I was, he's got to be going in again in the summer, isn't he? Whether whether or not, you know, this all this talk about our oh, seventy million quid. If he's worth seventy million quid, which in the market before coronavirus he, he easily was, if that's the case, then he the club need to be paying him more than thirty-five grand a week, don't they? He should be. You should, you should be giving him a hundred grand a week already, because he's past that stage now where. Oh, he might not make it. He's still only young. He might just be flourishing. Yeah, it's not that, is it? He's a special talent. He's he's different. So, if we do, you know, I think there's a general feeling around the club, isn't there, that one day he will go. I think if we can get certainly one more season out of him, certainly one more. But give him give him eighty grand a week, hundred grand a week, or whatever. Like you said, get rid of some of that those Deadwood players where we could easily make up that money. Give him that sort of money every week and a four-year deal or a five-year deal. It makes sure it guarantees his value for us, doesn't it? His sell-on value. And if it at the end of the first season he goes, actually, I'm doing all right here, or he's not quite as good, or Man City or Man United or Chelsea, whoever it might be, the team seems to change every day who he's going to. But if they're not interested, then you know, then we've still got him a good player earning money that he deserves. That's what we should do, isn't it? <laughs> I think a lot of fans, including myself, uh, are just worried that yeah, okay, we've kind of we've already accepted the fact that he's not going to be at West Ham for his entire career, um, not unless a miracle happens. But the worry for me, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of other fans, is that okay, we get 70 million quid for him. Um, do we have the owners uh, with enough know-how to to spend that money? Um, yeah. Do we have the, the transfer strategy to, to reinvest that money wisely into the transfer market, bring in three or four young, hungry players that can replace him and we don't miss him? Um, and I just don't think that's um, a, a realistic future for us um, at the moment. And, you know, it means that, you know, if we can just keep hold of him um, for a little bit longer. And also, if we get 70 million quid for him miraculously in, in this current climate, uh, we're not going to be able to probably spend that money even if he wanted to because, um, you know, it's it's going to go into money money lost um, and just go back into the club coffers. So it's it's probably the worst time to sell any player, let alone let alone your your best young player. And why would you not why would you not hold on to him for another year anyway? Because for a purely financial basis, in next summer, in a year's time, clubs are going to have more money again. The, the market might have bounced back, mightn't it? It's certainly going to have more money and be more inclined to spend. If life and football is back to a bit more what we remember as normality and Premier League are starting to throw money around again, well, it doesn't hurt to hold on to him for another year, does it? Because if he's worth 70 million quid now when no one's got any money, he might have another outstanding season next season, up his value anyway, plus clubs are a bit more willing to spend and you get 100 uh, or the early hundreds for him after that. But it just, 
it just seems an odd an odd story to to come out at a time like this, doesn't it? Unless it's from his agent, you never know. And maybe if it is from his agent, obviously we're saying in this current time, in this situation, this pandemic, teams don't have that money to sell, uh, don't have that money to buy. Excuse me. If West Ham want to buy themselves, could they maybe be forced into a situation where they do need to sell to maybe order do those purchases? Yeah, I, I don't really see what the point is of, of selling Rice or Diop and pulling, else, pulling in someone else, you know, to, to make money or to make money available for mm. transfers. And all you the first thing you're gonna to have to do is go and replace Rice and Diop. If you sell them to make money for other transfers, you're not gonna make the squad that much better, are you? You're gonna to have to replace them straight away because they're key members of the first eleven. So I don't I don't really buy that argument either. It is just a bit worrying, I think, that the stories come out and some of the stuff on Twitter about the owners perhaps preparing fans for a uh, for a few exits and sort of preparing their feelings now is a little bit concerning. Yeah, well, very worrying, very concerning. Someone who will definitely know more than us and maybe has heard a few whispers and rumours herself. It is Bianca Westwood from Sky Sports News and she's joining us next. Welcome back to We Are West Ham. And what can I say? This is a very special segment of the show because me, Charlie Hawkins, Will Pugh and James Jones have been joined by none other then Sky Sports News reporter Bianca Westwood, and more importantly, diehard Hammers fan. Bianca, before we get into everything, your line of work and being a Hammers fan, the highs and the many, many lows, of course, we have to start at the very top. Firstly, thank you for joining us. It's a real treat and pleasure to speak to you tonight. But more importantly, how are you in this time? You, family, everyone well and safe? Um, well, unfortunately, I've, I've actually been affected personally by the virus. I think I had it right at the very beginning, beginning of March. I was ill for a couple of weeks I, uh, and it completely wiped me out. <clears throat> but I've been fine ever since. But sadly, my, my grand died last Saturday. Sorry to start the show on a on such a sombre note. But, you know, people do need to understand that it is real. You know, people are losing their loved ones and, and, and friends and things like that and uh, although my, my grandma's was very old she was 94 she was in a home uh, she suffered from dementia so I, I kind of cling on to the idea that she's probably a lot better off than, than where she was so sadly yet yeah, personally it's been a tough time for me but you know I'm doing what everyone else is doing just keeping keep on keeping on I've been working out a lot in the garden I've been doing a bit on talk sport can't obviously can't do anything with Soccer Saturday at the moment, just looking forward to when we can all get back to normal. I think, Bianca, first of all, obviously, absolutely horrible news. I'm really sorry from uh, from all of us here at We Are West Ham to, to hear about that. And uh, as you say, I think it, it really it's important, isn't it, that I don't know about you or how you feel about it. I've seen um, some of your, like you say, social media stuff, trying to do some workouts and keep positive and all that sort of stuff I think mm. there's a uh, there's still a lot of people who like you say it, it's, it's certainly annoying me when I'm when I'm seeing people out and about and just bumping around in the uh, in the supermarket and stuff it, it, the whole thing is is a uh, it's irritating to see people not um not taking it seriously we had Tony Carr on uh, the show only last uh, the week before last and mm. talking similar to you been affected not quite as uh, as badly, luckily for, for Tony, but his daughter and his son-in-law and his three-year-old grandson all had the virus, managed to luckily get, get through the other side of it. But um, mm. like you say, unfortunately, it's getting to that time now, isn't it? More and more people becoming affected by it. But um, yeah, yeah really, um, really... I feel like people are being a bit more relaxed about it as well now. That mm. You're starting to notice a bit more traffic on the road, more people sort of walking down the street. I mean, you know, there are, Premier League players who have ignored the guidelines so I mean when they're doing that you, you, it, you kind of understand why other people aren't taking it so seriously as well um, but we still do have to follow the guidelines because it's it's not over yet there's still you know hundreds of people who are dying every day so until that number is diminished we have to we have to carry on and we we've we just got a lump it and that's and that's as simple as that we're not just doing it for our loved ones we're doing it for all those who are working at the front line in the nhs 
um, they're putting their lives on the line for us. So, you know, it, it's not it's not tough really to stay in, is it? So I find it, I'm a, I'm a couch potato anyway. So it's not the worst thing in the world for me. I, I love it. <laughs> <so. laughs> yeah, I, I remember when it first came out, I've always said it was my dream for someone to tell me that it was, I was legally <laughs> obliged to sit on the sofa yeah. for weeks on end. <laughs> exactly. We're not exactly in the trenches, are we? So, you know, I've got my Netflix on um and i'm going through that at a rate of knots so yeah not too bad for me bianca you mentioned um obviously some footballers have, have sort of flattered the rules a little bit and sort of on that front there's a there's a lot of pressure or you know a lot of talk about sort of when or how they're going to start getting football back you know sort of start playing football again mm. um I mean, at the moment, given what you know, what we've just discussed, and obviously the severity of the problems, obviously it's not going away anytime soon. Uh, the news today that you know there's going to be no sport in France until at least September. Yeah. Um, how how do you see any kind of sport, let alone football, Premier League football, coming back this season, um, or at least even before September, like France? When it all first started happening, even though I was ill with it myself, I, I was I always thought will definitely resume the season. There's no chance it's going to get cancelled. Um, I've, I've had arguments on WhatsApp, my family WhatsApp group, my brothers, because they're hoping it's going to get voided so that West Ham definitely stay up. But <laughs> I, personally, even though it is in West Ham's interest to, to finish the season now where we are, for me, I just think to preserve the integrity of the league, um, it's the fairest way. If you can, you need to finish it. Um, but having said that, after the news today that France has now cancelled their leagues, you know, we know the Netherlands have done the same. I'm not sure where the Bundesliga are now. I thought they were going back to training. Um, so that really kind of knocked my confidence in that. Um, the fact that I thought we were going to definitely 100% resume the season. The problem is, it's difficult to resume the league because of the, the ethical questions, you know, players are going to have to be tested constantly um, to make sure that they're healthy while they're in and among, around the, 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 their teammates and other staff members who have family and um, they may have vulnerable people in their family. They've got like parents they won't be able to see. Can you provide tests for players when NHS staff aren't being tested? So it's a real moral dilemma and, I read today that testing kits will cost around four million. That's a drop in the ocean for a Premier League budget. But you know, if one player is then tested positive, if we're yeah. you know starting the the season again, what happens then? Does it all sort of derail everything? Do we cancel it then? It's such a difficult question to answer. Can we isolate entire squads and staff members? You know, will the EFL even be in a position to do that? Um, because the, the Premier League, they they have to look after themselves as a league. But English football, I think, has to be as one because of all the ramifications for teams going up and down. Mm. You can't, they can't just sort of have their own plans. They have to take the championship into consideration, for example, with Leeds and, and West Brom on the brink of being promoted. You have to think about them. So I think the next few weeks are going to be really critical. If the numbers still keep, you know, decreasing, uh, there's more chance of that happening. And I think Spurs uh, resuming training, Arsenal, I think they have as well. So that's kind of a positive, um, a positive thing to look at. But for me, I always wanted the league to be completed. But and I don't think the Premier League wants to enter entertain any other scenarios personally. <laughs> But Absolutely. the more, the longer it goes on, you just think, well, when, how are they going to fit it all in? So, I don't know. If they, if they don't finish it, I think they'll probably go for the points per game system. Probably the, the fairest result, although Spurs won't be happy, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, because Arsenal will leapfrog them. They've played a game less. I, I don't know. It's like, there are so many different scenarios. We're just going to have to wait and see which, which one sort of ends up being the one that they go with. Bianca, what the the thing that really confuses me about all of this, and you've sort of you've you've ran through there a few different scenarios of what might happen and what avenue the Premier League clubs might go down. First, first of all, 
think, uh, I can't remember who it was, a prominent journalist tweeted today that, let's get it straight now, if it wasn't for hundreds of millions of pounds on the table, no one would be that bothered about trying or jumping through all these different hoops about trying to get a football season back underway or finished, given everything else that's going on at the time. And you mentioned the integrity of the league there, and that's what I've, I've found a bit troubling you've uh you've saying you've been doing some work for talk sport tom rennie at talk sport made a good point the other day one of their commentators on twitter and just said the you can't underestimate the value of a home advantage so any game any however it looks whether it's games played at the team stadiums just with no fans or at neutral venues where like mm. you said each squad isolates themselves and they just turn up for the games even if any of those work, how, how, and I, I don't understand how that league still maintains its integrity. If, for example, West Ham have already played, uh, just say they've already played away at Arsenal and then yeah. had Arsenal, would have had Arsenal at home or uh, any, any particular team, you've already played away and are yet to play them at home. We've got Aston Villa at home, West Ham on the yeah. end the last game of the season which you know pretty much would have been or was looking like it might be a relegation shootout there, there's no I don't understand or I can't accept from anyone that the integrity of the league remains intact if that relegation shootout is then played at some neutral ground somewhere else much good I'm just from my opinion now it, it just even though it goes against what a lot of people want I just think from a bigger picture it seems absolutely absurd that um, anyone's even been talking about it anyway, but I, I don't understand. I don't really see how the Premier League maintains its integrity because it's not going to be played out like a normal season would be anyway. I just think that's probably the fairest way of doing it. It's never going to maintain the integrity as it is because these are unprecedented times and this has never, ever happened before. And we can't finish the league with everybody there and with home advantage, although I don't think necessarily the London Stadium has gives us any advantage a lot of the time. <laughs> um, I, there's not going to be a way where you're able to resume the season or finish the season where every single person is going to be happy. Someone is going to lose out somewhere along the line. I just think if you can play the games physically as they're supposed to be, um, everybody's going to be in the same boat as well if you're in a, if you're in a neutral uh, ground or even if you play it in your home ground with nobody else there. It's the fairest way of doing it, I think, rather than just doing it in a points per game situation or just ending it now where everybody is. Because if we end if we end it now where everybody is, you know, Slavin Bilic's side has been working their socks off all season, playing really well. And for, to say to them, well, they've got to have another season in the championship, it just doesn't sit right with me. Mm. Um, but I, I make you right. You're absolutely right. It wouldn't be... To completely maintaining the integrity but for me it is the nearest way of doing that if you like I think I mean we were talking earlier I think one of the the, the side problems with this is that even if they do manage to get the season replayed somehow whatever scenario that is uh, from a financial perspective the, the game is going to be sort of um, Really affected. We've already seen sort of clubs, you know, have it, having to furlough staff. You know, the likes yeah. of Norwich and Bournemouth have had to do it. So I know a lot of the bigger clubs come under quite a lot of stick. Um, yeah. And then you know, and then they're talking about sort of smaller um, transfer budgets for clubs. Some clubs are going to have to do fire sales. Um, and then obviously, in amongst that, we've obviously been been uh, in those headlines today with Declan Rice being the the, the poster yeah. boy for said fire sale. Uh, for 70 million quid. I mean, I personally don't think um, there's going to be anywhere close to that kind of money being thrown around this summer. But do, do you see something like that happening, Bianca, where um, some of the other clubs are going to be forced to sell their best players to, to the, the top six, for instance, in England? Well, I think so, because they've, they've lost so much financially. I mean, I, I was glad, I'm glad that West Ham haven't furloughed staff. But, mm. you know, when we do resume there's going to be a black hole there and it's got to be filled somehow. But then again, if you sell your player too early, perhaps this time next year, the transfer market will kind of, you know, um, be revitalised. And I don't think it will be anywhere near the numbers that it would have been. Mm. But if you, you, you can sell your players too early and then, you know, 
if we sold Declan Rice, for example, I don't think even think we'd get 70 for him at, at the moment, even though he'd probably be worth that. But it'd be, he's worth a lot more than that to me in the long run. Um, I just don't think that... I think some teams will have to sell. I'm hoping that West Ham won't be one of them. But that you've got all sorts of different problems with players because you've got players, loan players, who have, you know, their loan contracts run out. Will they want to continue playing on? You know, they, they won't want to get injured. You know, like uh, last case, you know, if we do resume the season, if they're asked to play an extra month and then they get injured, they're not going to get a move for the following season. It's just, it's an awful, awful situation. And I know people are saying, oh, we're thinking about is money, but it is people's livelihoods on the line as well. It's mm. not just about, you know, how much money the Premier League can make or how much money the clubs are losing. You know, people work at clubs. There, mm. There's a human element to it. Mm. Um, and I think some people need to remember that. Yeah, it definitely feels like maybe they've been the forgotten ones, people that, you know, match day staff, the caterers mm. as well, everyone. This is their livelihoods and their income as well. Bianca, we know you're only giving us a little bit of a short time tonight. Just wanted to quickly talk maybe a few more positive things. You as a West Ham fan, if that is a positive thing, obviously I'm sure it, it wasn't through choice, you know, from being <laughs> no. a little girl and family. Just you being a West Ham fan, all the memories, I'm always on your, your Twitter, I know all the stuff you post and, you know, following them, the highs and the lows. And working at Soccer Saturday, the, one of the beauties of it is you, uh, Latiz, you know, Phil Thompson, you stay true to your team. You don't have to be unbiased. You know, you wear your West Ham colours on your sleeve. What yeah. is that like for you? And, and where are West Ham for you at this moment in time? Um, well, no, it wasn't a choice to be a West Ham fan. <laughs> my mum's my side of the family are all Tottenham. My oh. dad went... Yeah, exactly. My dad, when he was alive, he's a Tottenham fan as well. But my mum and dad split up when I was quite young. So she married a West Ham fan, an absolute fanatic. Um, and obviously I lived with him. He went to the football uh, growing up. I mean, one of my earliest, I don't really remember the 1980 FA Cup final, but I know that my stepdad went to it. Um, so it was quite a good time to be a West Ham fan then, you know. Um, it seemed quite exciting, so I, I'd ask him to, to take me, um, which he did. And so, as soon that my first, I don't remember my first game either, but I was about six or seven, and he took me to Upton Park. And from that moment on, I was just, I was just absolutely hooked. And I've never felt that with Tottenham. So even though Tottenham were probably a better team at that time, and won more matches and stuff like that. Um, it was, uh, I don't know, there was something uh, it's difficult to quantify or qualify when a, a team chooses you rather than you choose the mm. team. It's just a feeling that you get. Um, and I knew that West Ham were, were the team for me. And then a, a few years later, obviously, it was like the 1986 season. And uh, I was able to go on my own. I was at, like, about 10 years old. Um, my stepdad used to sit in the, the family enclosure with my little brothers and he'd watch me on the North Bank. I used to go with my friends. It was a pound to get in. And that season was just, it was just incredible. Like there's so many different moments to it. The, the team that, that was, you know, Mark Wards, Alan Devonshire, Ray Stewart, Alvin Martin, Phil Parks, Frank McAvinney. It was just such a, a magical season. They're, they're my earliest memories, for sure. Um, I was at the game where we beat um, Newcastle 8-1. That uh -huh. was like 34 years ago last week, that was. It makes me Alvin, feel so old. At the Alvin Martin hat-trick against yeah, three hat different keepers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was at that game. That's probably one of the earliest games that I remember, I'd say. Um but it's, I thought from that season, I thought, yeah, we're going to be, we're going to be brilliant now from now on. And we've been lean ever since. <laughs> yeah. From a couple of seasons. Once, <laughs> once with, I think, Redknapp, we finished fifth. And then uh, with Slaven, that was a great season, finishing seventh and everything that came with that. Pards as well. I really enjoyed that season. That was brilliant. Um, probably one of the best days I've ever had as a West Ham fan was the semi-final at Villa Park oh, yeah. um, against Borough when Harewood scored, that was, that was phenomenal. There have not been too many massive highs, but I think when you have as many lows as we do, 
those highs feel all the all the sweeter. Yeah, if you, if you try telling a, a Tottenham or a Man United or a Chelsea fan, you still remember the season we came fifth and it was one of the greatest <laughs> years of your life. They find it a bit hard to believe, don't they? I know, exactly. They don't know how lucky they are. They really <laughs> don't. Exactly. You mentioned the uh, semi-final. We were lucky enough, um, James and I, we had Dean Ashton on the show in the week and we were talking to him about the, the quarter-final up at Manchester City when, yeah, he, uh, when he pinged one in with his left foot. That's yeah, one of he, my favourite goals, yeah. That was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we were talking to him obviously about the cup final as well and he was just saying that even for, for Dean, he, he didn't really have a club when he was young. He wasn't a West Ham fan or a Norwich fan whoever he played for. He just loved playing football. But mm. he said that that moment was was probably, you know, the, his favourite goal of his, of his career. He managed to score in an FA Cup final and even though he yeah. retired early um, brought a lot of joy to a lot of us Bianca we've got to ask you while you're on I'm sure you get mm. asked it all the time but for a lot of people who will see your face on the TV every single Saturday when football's on uh, they'll look at you and say oh, that Bianca's got the dream job obviously unfortunately she supports West Ham but her working <laughs> life I get that a lot yeah her working <laughs> life no doubt makes up for it but obviously we'll, we'll want to know what it's like working with Jeff so closely you obviously have a good relationship with him but how did you get into it in the first place those of you or West Ham fans who've been listening to podcast for quite a long time we'll know you from knees up mother brown so you know did, did, did that help did that lead you into that sort of environment how did you get into it that's where you are now no i mean i've been at sky since uh well i say almost the very beginning it kind of feels like that because it's so much has happened I, I started 20 years ago at sky um and it was kind of almost by accident i was out of a job at the time and uh, somebody I knew, knew one of the producers there, knew that I was a mad football fan. And Sky was very, very different then. It was, it was very small. It had almost like a Fleet Street kind of atmosphere. Um, it wasn't like this corporate giant um, that you, you sort of know now. People used to smoke at their desks. It was small teams. It was um, very male-oriented then. It wasn't diverse. It was completely and utterly uh, different to it is today. And I got a job as a runner and I worked on a, a couple of different sports and I was really lucky that they gave me a job within the first three months. And this was in 2000. And then um, I practically, I got a job on a programme called What A Weekend for a little while, about three or four months. Then I did the NFL for a little while as well. But football was always my passion. And I was watching Claire Tomlinson at the time. She was the only female um, reporter. They had female presenters on Sky Sports News, but it was different. I kind of still wanted to go to the games. You know, I still wanted to have that mm. atmosphere as a football fan, which I think you do miss when you're in a studio. Um, so I basically bullied the producer of Soccer Saturday and, until he would sort of give me a shot. And he said that he had enough staff and, and all of that, but I just pestered him and pestered him until one day he said to me, okay, we've got an opening for you. That was in 2002, I think. Um, and I, I basically pestered him all the time until he gave me a shot as an AP. And then I wanted to go out and report. And then I wanted to do interviews and post-match interviews. And I was lucky that, uh, you know, that he kind of had an open mind because at that stage there was still no women doing it that uh, eventually kind of I, I sort of battered him down he was like all right then go on go out and do it <laughs> just, just annoyed him into submission I did yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do that to most of the men in my life <laughs> <laughs> you said you enjoy going to games um, that's like the atmosphere and stuff like that I mean Going, moving back to the football slightly with the, mm. the stadium. Yes. Um, what What's that like, sort of reporting from the new stadium in comparison to all the other all the other football stadiums? Obviously, because yeah. stadium isn't really a football stadium. Does it make much of a difference? I've seen some some commentators in the past say that it's not ideal being that high up and that far away from the. Yeah, it is. It's a really really high gantry. I mean, I don't get to do West Ham games too often, so I've I've only done it a couple of times from there and the times that I did do I was uh, only doing post-match so I was sat in the dugout so I haven't actually been up on the gantry but I know that 
commentators don't like it too much. It's not the best position, the envision position, like what Cami and, and I do. It's so difficult to see. You've got a monitor, but uh, you have to kind of keep referring back to your monitor because you're so high. You can't, like they're tiny. It's like watching the Sabutio game, you know? So it's like, it's not, it's not the best. It's um, like that from the seat, Bianca. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not for much longer, but we'll see. We'll see. But I am still very much an old school football fan. You know, I love going to Sellers Park. I love going to the cottage. I like, I like even going to places like, I don't know, um, Dagnum, Peterborough, uh, Lincoln. I, I get to go to such a different variety of, um, I'm, I'm lucky in that sense that I can still have that side of it in, in the lower league. I just think the Premier League does lose a lot of that. I don't know. I don't know what the word is, actually. It's, it's the nostalgia, I know, but it's the, 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 the close feeling, the atmosphere, the, the fire that you get. Players, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it can be very sterile in a lot of um, uh, Premier League matches, and that's, that's a real shame. But, I, I, but they can be brilliant as well. I mean, I did... Um, like, I like going to Carrow Road, and they're, you know, while they've been in the Premier League, they've had some some stonking games as well. It just depends what. I mean, they're they're still you're still quite on top of the the action, whereas with West Ham, obviously, you just you're just not close enough. I'm afraid. Bianca, just uh, just as before we let you go, just one one thing we've um, spoke to Dean Ashton, like I said in the week, and he he said that David Moyes he doesn't think is the man to lead the club forward in the long term. We, we've yeah. had some different opinions on the show so far. I've got to get your opinion on on David Moyes. Obviously, a pretty woeful start after the the victory against Bournemouth. What are your what are yeah. your thoughts on uh, on Moyes and going forward? Um. It was always going to be a risk, I thought. I, I wasn't too enthused um, with getting Moyes back. I just thought it was a bit, not just embarrassing for us, but a bit humiliating for him as well. It was like, you weren't good enough. We got someone else in, but oh, can you come back, please? Um, we were wrong. It's a bit like uh, going back to an ex. You know, you, you dump <laughs> someone for a reason. It never really works out as well that a second time around anyway so I was a bit kind of in two minds although I've, I've, from people that know him you know they say he's a great guy he's, he's obviously still a good manager my concern is perhaps maybe with the game moving as fast as it does is he still sort of capable of sort of keeping up with that is he tactically um you know, as astute as some of the other managers in, in the Premier League now. So those were all my concerns. Obviously, we had a great start, as you, as you mentioned. I don't think we've been terrible um, in the past few games. You know, we had really good performances against uh, Liverpool. It seems so long ago now. Manchester City, we did well against. It, it, the Brighton game, I think, annoyed me. If we'd have won that, we'd have felt a little bit differently. We'd have been a bit more positive. Um, I like the fact that he's brought in Susick and Bowen. Bowen was a great signing. I don't know how much of a hand he had in that. You never know where these things do you with transfers anymore. I like the fact he's given more support to Sebastian Haller. Fournals has got more of a chance. So he's looking at other players. Um, that perhaps didn't get, that didn't give their best under Pellegrini. I just, I, as I said, I'm not sure he's the, the dynamic manager that, that we need. But if he kept us up, so let's say we resume the season and we we win those matches. If he kept us up, then he deserves a shot. I think uh, at the following season, whether we'll be able to, you know, play in an attractive way is another. Um, I'm not quite confident that I'm not quite confident for the long term that he would be for us. But then, what manager is nowadays? You get 18 months, and usually your time's up, and everyone's bored of you. So, absolutely, absolutely, Bianca, you've uh, it's been absolutely brilliant to to talk to you. One thing we've uh, we've started quite recently on the We Are West Ham podcast since we've been in mm -hmm. lockdown is mm -hmm. a refer a friend scheme. Unfortunately. Okay. 
no one benefits financially. You, not you, not James, not me, not Charlie, and unfortunately none of the listeners. But uh, it's basically all we do at the end of after we have every guest, we ask them to refer the podcast to a friend or someone that they think would make an excellent guest on. We've had uh, Tony Cars pass the podcast on the Kamita Twins last week. Dean Ashton is getting mm. on Jimmy Jimmy Walker's case for us to yeah. uh, to come on and be a guest. So we're relying on you to do the same thing. We don't like normally to steer our guests in any particular direction, but it would be remiss of us, as you are a colleague of Tony Cotty, I think. To, well, I was uh, just about to say, uh, have you had TC on before? We haven't yet. So we've had TC, Tony Carr on, on a few occasions, a good friend of ours. John Moncurmal on Harewood, yeah. just some yeah. of the names. Danny Gabadon we've had on this season. So we've, we've I had think TC Cotty would be perfect then. You might have I to... Think- you might have to walk him through the whole Zoom setup set because, <laughs> you know, technically, you know, technology and stuff, he's, he's probably not the best, but nah, he just about be... uses a phone. But he's not as bad as Tony Gale, who still <laughs> uses a Nokia. He doesn't even use a smartphone. Well, but, look, if uh, yeah, we... if you help him out with a Zoom, I'm sure he'd be up for it, yeah. Absolutely. Well, if we can rely on you to, uh, to pass on that message, then uh, that'd be absolutely great. Okay. Well, cheers, Bianca. We really appreciate that. Don't worry, I've not got to Zoom myself, hence why I'm not even showing my face. I thought I was. <laughs> so I've really like doled up tonight. It's completely not worked. But, Bianca, <laughs> we really appreciate you giving us a little bit of time tonight. We wish you and the family well. And hopefully we get to see you reporting on football very, very soon. Bianca Westwood from Sky Sports News joining us on We Are West Ham. You're still with We Are West Ham tonight and it has been a really special show. You just heard from Bianca Westwood there from Sky Sports News telling us how she became a West Ham fan, the highs and the lows and everything what's going on. And we're now delighted to say uh, Neil Langley joins us. We're taking a slightly different change of pace. Neil being the father of Dexter, who's been in and out of hospital over the past six weeks with a mystery condition at Great Ormond Street Hospital. Still don't know the full extent of that, but it's been brought to our attention because he is an absolute dedicated, the most passionate Hammers fan you will ever see. And has had some wonderful messages, most notably from Mark Noble, a new signing, Jared Bowen. But Neil, delighted to speak to you tonight. Before we get into all of that and how much those messages meant to your boy, Dexter, how is Dexter, first of all? Yeah, no, thanks for asking. He's a lot better now. I mean, he's more, more coming back to himself. He's still got sort of a niggling pain um, in his neck. Um, and we're going under more tests um, to look into the why is that why that's happening. Um, but he's sort of more himself now. He's a bit more keen to get out there and wants to get back into playing football and getting his kit on, especially his West Ham goalkeeper kit, to uh, have a bit of a play there. Yeah, Neil, so Dexter went into hospital, I think, six weeks ago, if I'm not right. Obviously, uh, chatted to you yesterday about the whole situation. Uh, he, he had a pain in his thigh, first of all. Um, doctor's still not sure exactly what it is, but uh, suspected juvenile arthritis, I think I'm right in saying. And But he's been struggling walking and stuff like that. But um, lucky enough, or something that certainly cheered him up in the, the last few weeks, was he got video messages, first of all, from... Jared Bowen and Mark Noble. Uh, how did that come about? Oh, well, um, Dexter's old uh, teacher from school, um, for a mutual friend, found out about his illness and that he was in hospital. Um, and he's been a fantastic teacher, Dexter, in the past, but he, he really wants to do something to cheer Dexter up. So he contacted quite a few people and contacted the club. Um, and the club's been fantastic. Um, on the 17th of um, April, we received a message from Jared just wishing him well um, and it gave him a massive boost. We'd, we'd been into Great Ormond Street for the whole day and he's having various tests and lots of bloods taken on the day. And we got back out into the car to come home and that's when he saw the message. So it was an absolute massive boost to, to get that message. And you and uh, you and Dexter are, are season ticket holders, am I right? I think, um, what, do you sit in the Trevor Brooking upper Trevor tier one? That's it, one yeah, thing, Trevor Brooking. One thing I was, uh, I was quite interested to hear when I was speaking to you yesterday is that you, you and Dexter or have only had your season tickets since we've been at the London Stadium. You said you used to go to Upton Park, but struggled to get season tickets while we were there. And quite interested that the stadium's obviously had, had some mixed reviews from, from fans since the club has been in there. Just quite interested to get your view, really, as someone who's only had their tickets since we've been at the new ground. What's your view on the stadium? And Dexter obviously loves it, as you've said to me before, but how do you find it going? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I've been to Upton Park and you, you can't 
can't deny that the atmosphere there is absolutely was absolutely fantastic. Um, but we enjoy going to London Stadium. It's it's easy to get into. Um, where we sit, the crowd's lively, um, always singing along and cheering. So it makes it more special when that's happening. Yeah. So De Dexter's had. Um, I say Dexter's sort of looking on the way up now. He certainly seems to be uh, doing a little bit better. Has he he's still got some more scans and all that sort of thing? Yeah, we've got more blood tests and MRI and other bits going on this week. Um, and, and hopefully we get to the bottom of what's going on. He's been, yeah, like you said earlier, he's been having some pains in his thighs, in shoulder, um, in his neck. Um, there's some days where he couldn't walk before, so we've had to carry him to bed. Um, even last night, to be honest with you, he had a pain in his neck where we had, we had to lay him down in bed, so he couldn't do it on his own. So there's still bits there that are going on, but physically in himself now, or mentally in himself, he's a lot more, a lot better now. He's a lot more positive about the whole situation. Neil, um, I, I watched, uh, I watched back the messages from Bowen and Nobes earlier, yeah. and um, and Dexter's reaction to both of them. And as a as a new father myself, my son's only five months old. Um, it kind of, it really. So we almost his reaction almost sort of put me to tears a little bit because he just looked so just so overawed by the fact that two West Ham players would send him messages. Um, how did sort of that make you feel and uh, sort of watching his reaction, sort of cheering him up a little bit, and also is that kind of sort of egg Dexter on a little bit to sort of you know really sort of fight fight on and sort of get back better and and playing football again. Oh, definitely. When, I mean, as soon as we saw that uh, Jared Bowen video, I, I saw it slightly before Dexter saw it, so I knew what was coming. But seeing Dexter's reaction, where, where we haven't seen sort of smile um, uh, in that positive way in, in the last sort of six weeks, um, oh, it, it did it brought tears to my eye, and it made it made it special. Um, and for for those guys like for Jared Bowen and um, Mark Noble to go go out of their way to go and do that for him was, was truly special, and it gave him a massive boost. Um, to sort of spur him on to sort of yeah get better and feel, feel more positive about the situation because he's a, a really nice touch from the club you know they've uh, certainly this season have had quite a lot of negative press but um that's certainly a nice touch in a in a little bit of a difficult time for lots of people at the moment is dex is a promising goalkeeper as well isn't he yeah he actually loves playing in goal um he, he plays he's training with the school team at the moment um and he's doing a, a sort of training concept session as well where he gets sort of one-to-one -one training with his goalkeeping so um, that's what he wants to get into. Um, minor little setback at the moment but where all the clubs are, are cancelled and suspended at the moment while all this coronavirus is going on it's it's kind of not had a massive impact because everyone else is in the same situation where they can't train and practice and play like they were before anyway so um, hopefully yeah, we'll be back to all, all, all be back to that soon. Yeah, hopefully we'll all be back to that soon. And, and what is the next step then, uh, uh, Nanil, for Dexter? What you know in his recovery? What is that next step? I don't know really. It's, it's waiting on to see what the diagnosis is, and um, hopefully we we'll know more by Friday. If if it is a sort of condition with the arthritis, I'm led to believe that it's not it doesn't have lasting long effects into adulthood when children have it. But um, there'll probably be some steroids, there'll be other different medication, but hopefully we get there pretty quick and he recovers and, and can carry on getting back to football and the, the sport that he loves. Yeah, absolutely. Well, not only uh, we, we are West Ham hoping that, but I'm sure the West Ham fans and the players now will be hoping for that. Neil, we really appreciate you coming tonight and giving us a little bit of time. More importantly, please give our love and regards to Dexter. And hopefully we'll have Dexter on soon when he's a starting number one for West Ham because we definitely need him in net, mate. We'll, we'll be sure to talk about that. But Neil, really appreciate you. And hopefully we'll speak to you both soon. No worries. Thanks for that. Thanks to you guys. And thanks to West Ham, to the club, for everything they've done. Cheers, guys. Well, this is it on We Are West Ham. We have reached the conclusion of the show and we are going out with a bang. Not only we spoke to Bianca Westwood, we just heard from Neil Langley there about his son, the diehard fan, Dexter Langley, and his recovery and that special, special message he got from Mark Noble and Jared Bowen. But it is all about the special contest in the Rogue West Ham Mystery Players Quiz you know how it goes down. But before we get into that, and before we speak to maybe the champion in waiting, we go to someone who needs a big W, a big victory tonight for those standings as they are. And it is Will Pugh. Huge night for me tonight, Charlie. There's no talking, all the trash talking and all that's over. I can point fingers at the quiz master and at the fact James has been revising to him within an inch of his life 
against the spirit of the We Are West Ham Mystery Road Players quiz. But this, this, I've only got myself to kind of look at myself. I really need to step up tonight. I'm, I'm aware of how huge it is, and I think so can the fans at home. It's a massive, massive night for you because we are running out of weeks. If James gets the victory tonight, you can only draw, Will. It will go down to those points which you really desperately need them. If it's a clean sweep from James tonight, could he be out of sight? It is so important. You made a big meal of it in the last couple of weeks, Will. You wanted, you said this was the road players quiz. You've already been kind of throwing out your reasons and excuse. And I feel like you've still got more on the tip of your tongue tonight. Just to update everyone on the exact scores. So it's overall on game weeks, it's 14-12 to James at the moment and 41-37 on what is looking like the all-important points difference. So just to let everyone know at home, we're wrapping up the quiz or the last round of the quiz is on May the 19th. So that, I think, from now gives us four more weeks. Jonesy, am I right there? I think there's four more weeks left. Four more weeks left of the quiz, including this one. So if James wins, uh, he goes to 15-12 up on game weeks, which means I have to get three straight game week victories in a row after that and rely on the points difference, which is huge. I'll need a 3-0 whitewash in there somewhere. So I've got all the work to do, but it's you know, like one of those. It's still in my hands at the moment. If I win every week from now until then, I win 16-14. And there's no need for this conversation. But well, tonight, let's take the mic off you for just a minute. Let's let the champion get a word in. Because, James, this seems to me like a bit of a backhanded compliment. Will Pugh there saying it might come down to the points. But the form you're on, James, all the, those game weeks, it's not coming down to the points. You win this week, you win next week. It's game over. We won't even need to continue. And you rightly pointed out, James, a man, as we know, as Will Pugh, as cool and calm as the way roller blades around the place, so elegant, looking very rattled and riled tonight. He's, he's been nervous all evening, hasn't he? And just, just looking at him now, he's, uh, he can't even look, look me in the eye, can he? He's um, worried. He's coming up with so many excuses that I've been revising. It's not true. I refute all those allegations. Um, <laughs> I thought, I thought Reese's quiz questions last week were wrong. Nothing wrong with them. So um, it's just he's just sounding like a man that's under a lot, a lot of pressure. Um, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of managers and a lot of a lot of sportsmen are like that when under pressure, aren't they? You know, we've seen Mourinho when he's under pressure, sort of, you know, having mm-hmm. a lot of people. Um, Pep Guardiola's done it. Um, even David Moyes does it sometimes. So <laughs> it's to to be expected when you're in his position. To be expected, well, we have to dive straight in then because we know you are already thinking of those road players. If you're new to us, three players, five clues. The clues will get easier as we go along. If you're playing at home and you got it before the boys tonight, then please do let us know. We're going to give you that all-important email, but you can tweet us at any time. We always love hearing from you. But here it is, the Rogue Mystery Players Quiz. Will Pugh versus James Jones. And this is... Player number one, fingers and buzzers at the ready. And just a quick one for you listening. Whenever you do listen to this podcast, just as I said that, they both had their head in their hands and looked down. Genuinely, this means so much to the boys. Player number one, clue number one. Played 11 games for West Ham. Clue number two, debut was against Watford. James, you was probably in Hostbone. You should have got it from that. Clue number three, scored a hat-trick in under 10 minutes for his next club after West Ham. Simone Zaza. And that is correct. And it is 1-0 to James Jones. That is frightening. I said it was the Watford clue. He is 1-0 up and he is giving a big fist to the camera, a big fist to the Zoom camera because... He's one more uh, player away from winning tonight. This is unruly. Is this the KO blow for William Pugh? Player number two. Clue number one. Made their West Ham debut against Coventry in 1999. Clue number two. Never started a first team game. Clue number three. Shirt number 38. Clue number four, scored in both legs of the Youth Cup final. Errol Forbes. Incorrect. Clue number five, 
position was wing back. I'm just going to give you a quick roundup of those clues while you're taking all of that and digesting that information. Clue number one made West Ham debut against Coventry in 1999. Clue number two never started a first team game. Clue number three shirt number 38. Four was scored in both legs of the Youth Cup final. Danny Williams. That is incorrect. Clue number five position was wing back. And just while you're both quickly thinking that, McCann. that is incorrect. Ooh. Both struggling tonight. You've chucked out three clues. James thought that Will might have had it then. Why they're thinking, I want to quickly shout out the man who is a legend for doing this quiz every week. It is the brilliant Reese Bayless for providing us with these players and these clues. We can never forget Reese's work on that. And he seems to have stumped the guys on player number two. Will, you got a guess or do you want to move on to three? Elliot Ward. Gary Charles. You're both incorrect. <sighs> Do you want to go to player number three? Mm. Yeah, go on. All right, we'll bank player number two, please, dealer. Uh, player number three. Played just under 100 games for two clubs in England. Scored two goals for West Ham. Signed for West Ham on a free transfer. A playoff winner with West Ham. Clue number five. I'm going to absolutely butcher this name, but I'm going to make an attempt. Current manager of Fedin Svarosh. <laughs> that is a Hungarian side. I've actually Googled that pronunciation. Have all seen a check? No. Score, did he? <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't make me repeat it when you've just done that. It's unbelievable for me. And Reese, thanks for that. But player number three played just under 100 games for two clubs in England. Gabor Kirai? Incorrect. Scored two goals for West Ham. Signed for West Ham on a free transfer. A playoff winner with West Ham. Current manager of Fedin Svarosh. Abdullah Say? No, and that is a Hungarian side. Do you want me to tell you who the first club was as an extra clue in England? Go on. Spurs. He was a striker and they signed him, if this is off the top of my head, I think for around 11 million. Les Ferdinand? Nope. Robbie Keane? What, current manager of Ferenc Svarosh? (laughs) (laughs) Sergei Rebrov? That is correct, Will Pugh, and it is 1-1. It's in there. Come on. I think more oh. worryingly, Robbie King for, and played for two clubs yeah. in England. So I rest uh, my mind, but I was thinking 2012, 2012 playoffs. Right, no. well, it's it's 1-1. One, one. Will Hugh, what a grab that was. To be fair, though, Re- Sve- Rebrov is Sverenkarev, so I just didn't hear it. It's because he didn't pronounce it properly. If it was pronounced first, I'd have got it straight away. <laughs> or maybe if you, if I didn't give you my clues, which is why you got it. Just, <laughs> yeah. just be a little bit more thankful, Will, yeah? Huge shout out extra clues for you. Right, well, it was a huge shout, and it means Will Pugh is on the ropes. He is swinging, but he is still in. The referee has is, not stopped is the, is the Is it Richard Garcia? It isn't. And it's a bit oh, cheeky. He throws in one where I'm talking there, just so he can jump in. James, you've got to watch out for these. He's like cheeky low blows. We're going back to player number two. Quick recap. Made their West Ham debut against Coventry in 1999. Never started a first-team game. Shirt number 38. Scored in both legs of the Youth Cup final. Position was wing-back. Do you want me to give you an, uh, uh, the initials? Mm. James, you agree to initials? Just give initials. <laughs> yeah, go on. All right, initials are... A N. Adam Newton. And that is correct. And Will Pugh has unbelievably won tonight. He has kept this competition alive. It is agony for James Jones. Ecstasy for Will Pugh. Because not only has Will Pugh come back from the dead in the overall tournament, he's come back tonight. He was 1-0 down. He was dead and buried. He has risen from the ashes. The Phoenix is alive. Will Pugh, talk to us. Oh, God, what a huge result that is. 
I mean, what an awful run of form I've been on. I've, I've kept my uh, season-long winning streak intact as well. Of my six in a row that I've got, that would have been six for James tonight, I believe. So that record stands for forever. That's permanent in the history books. But that, what a huge result. I think everyone knows. I mean, you see it on James's face now. Distress. Distress is all I can see there. And relief for me, Charlie. Relief. I, I feel like I wouldn't have come back from it. Yeah. I'd have lost tonight. Absolutely huge result. It, a massive win. It sounds like you're almost taking off in a helicopter sh- to celebrating that. I don't know if your mic's losing battery, but unbelievable. James, you are still in the lead, but that was a big one for Will tonight, pulling it out. So those current standings are now 14-13 and obviously uh, 42-39. Really close. One uh, week in it, James, and everything to play for. Your big winning streak has ultimately been lost tonight. Yeah, I've only got myself to blame. Um, Sergio Rebrov did cross my mind but I was thinking of the wrong playoffs um, so I ruled it out without saying it uh, so, I, just, yeah. I can't believe it wasn't Robbie Keane either I know <laughs> um, yeah it's, I mean lesson learned for me I should just shout out like Will does and I you know, just pop luck and get it right but um, yeah just seeing the smile on Will's face is, is enough to just sort of let him have it this week he looks so relieved he's going to sleep well tonight and you know fair play mm. to him um, but I will remind him that just one more win from from me and the pressure's back on. His goal difference is, you know, the only way he can win it. So, three weeks left. <laughs> he's, uh, he's still got a lot to play for. Yeah, top sportsmanship from you there, James. Giving him credit for that win, saying he won tonight. And, you know, but there is still a lot to play for. Will, I feel like you was nervous going into tonight, but a huge, huge weight off your shoulders. And as the new champion from tonight, we always give the champion the last word. Will, the last word is yours. Absolutely. I mean, I can't get ahead of myself, Charlie. It's an absolutely enormous win, but the work is certainly not done. It's certainly not done here. I'm, I've pulled it back 14-13 now. Well, 3-0 would have been nice, but I think after the run of form I've been on, just to get the win was was absolutely huge. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not resting on my laurels, but I, there'll be, I can't mask my, my joy. It would have been dead and buried if it wasn't for that. So it's very, very much game on now. And we know... As we've seen this season, this the Mystery Players quiz can very much be all about form. We've had some big, long winning streaks. James has just been on one. I've had one earlier in the season. It tends to be that people win weeks back to back, and I'm, I'm certainly hoping that will be the case for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we want to say not only thank you to you two, thank you to Reese Bayliss for doing the quiz, Bianca Westwood, Neil Langley, everyone for joining us tonight. And there's always ways that you can join us. We're going to have more social media presence uh, growing in the next few weeks. And James, there is an email that everyone can reach us, write reviews. What is that? Yeah, yeah. If anyone has got any questions they want to ask us, uh, any any content ideas, any talking points you want us to discuss on future podcasts, then... Just get in touch at wearewestlandpod at gmail.com. Get in touch. Yeah, definitely. Will, you are tonight's champion. Have fun this week on your rollerblades. Look forward to next week. Will Pugh the champion, but the boys, as they always are, will be flying the West Ham flag high and they will be seeing you next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.